So I stumbled upon this video on YouTube, and it's Dan Carlin giving a talk at Google. And in the talk, um, he talks a lot about uh, his ideas and thoughts on what he calls new media. So uh, before I jump into my notes, two, two things. Like uh, anytime I can hear Dan Carlin speak, I, I try to take advantage of that and I take notes. Because one, I think he's probably the world's best podcaster. But two, he's got a decade and a half experience in what he calls new media. But it really is uh, a commentary on this, this new age of infinite leverage that we live in. Um, and how that affects like how like the future of work, which I'm fascinated by, and I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. And let me give an example of that. Like his his podcast, Hardcore History. Uh, it's rumored that the um, like single episodes get somewhere like 15 to 20 million people listening to him, and it's him and Ben. So you're talking about a team of two people, one person doing most of the heavy lifting um, can reach 20 million people. And I think that's just that's that fundamentally changes the world we live in because that was impossible up until maybe 10, 20 years ago. So let's just jump into the notes. First, he starts off with general history. And he's, he, he's asked this question, like, what happens if we don't know history? And he doesn't really answer it. But I, I mean, this, this first sentence kind of gives you an insight into what his answer is, but he kind of just let it linger, let, lets it linger and ends it with a question. So he says, in the world of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So that's that famous old quote, right? And he says, if you are one of the hundred that studies history and you learn context from it, and he, does that give you a leg up in your life? Now, he's dedicated his entire life to history. He's a history major. He does a history podcast. He reads tons of books for, on history. So clearly, he thinks there's some benefit. I obviously share that as well because, like I was saying in Founders Podcast, if you believe the truth in that statement that, that human nature repeats, then, of course, studying the history, like you taking the time to studying human history um, gives you a leg up like he says even if you're even if the, some of the information you get you know you can't verify its authenticity like the rest of the world is blind so even if if the rest of the world is blind to history and you at least have one eye on it you do have an advantage i would say uh, he talks about the best way to build an audience he says on the podcast i talk about what i like to talk about what interests me if you do that you will eventually self-select your audience they will people they will be people who like what you like too it's interesting because i've been reading a lot of books on um on Warren Buffett, Henry Singleton, all these other uh, entrepreneurs, and they do the same thing. Instead of build, uh, self-selecting into an audience, they're self-selecting into the shareholders. And they, they both uh, talk about that, how if you, you're you upfront with what you're into and how your thoughts on your philosophies on how you're running business, over time, the people that are attracted to the same things will become attracted to, to your company. And I also would say like... Uh, not only do I think Dan's right that this is the best way to build the audience, but it's probably the only way to build the audience because podcasting is a unique medium. Like if you're going to hear somebody talk for dozens of hours, hundreds of hours, like you can't really play, you're not like a character. It's not like a movie where you can play a role for 90 minutes. Like that's very sustainable. Doing that over many years and hundreds of hours, like you're going to, people are going to hear that they hear you speak are going to know like who you are as a person. So it's, it's very, it's actually very unique. Uh, so he says, uh, one of the benefits of new media, that's his word, instead of having to appeal to everyone out there, you can target a teeny narrow demographic. Example, if you're really into Harry Potter, what are the networks giving you? The answer is nothing. But there are a bunch of podcasts about Harry Potter. It might be a small audience that is interested in that, but they are passionate about it. 
It is one thing to say I watch this TV show that everybody else likes and I like it too. It is another thing to have somebody speaking right into your soul in a way that you can relate to about something you love. That's part of the reason that I fell in love with podcasts for so like over a decade ago. When you go into a uh, when you go into a bookstore, you you will see books about. Oh, he's making a good point here about how being a good storyteller is one of the most valuable uh, skills you could have in life. He says when you go into a bookstore, you see books about historical figures and history. These are written by authors, not historians. Why? Because they, meaning the authors, are great storytellers. They know how to tell this, tell that story in a way that relates to a non-specialist. Um, so that's what he always talks about in his podcast. He's like, listen, I'm just interested. I'm passionate about history, but I'm not a historian. And I think that's actually a huge benefit to him because he can relate to everyday other people that uh, are passionate about the same thing. He says, the modern world opens up the possibilities for anyone who has a storyteller gene. Some of you are great storytellers. It is almost an innate quality. It doesn't mean you can't improve it, but it is an innate quality. Uh, The new media has no gatekeepers. We have gone away from the whole idea that someone can prevent you from telling your stories. You don't have to please a gatekeeper before you can see if an audience likes what you do. For storytellers, this is a golden age. Um, Then he said something that's very interesting because... I've listened to every single one of Dan Carlin's podcasts. I've bought his, I've purchased his entire back catalog, and I reference them. I use them as tools for reference all the time, so I'll go back and listen to something. And it's fascinating what he's about to say here, and, and I agree with it because I have my own experience with this podcast. He says, there's a long game going on here that old media doesn't deal with. If we do a, sh- uh, if we do a show a de- today, how many people... Oops, I made a mistake here. I gotta change. I gotta delete that because that's not gonna make sense. If we do a show today, let me try that again. If we do a show today, how many people will have heard that show a hundred years from now? Old media does. What is the next rating ratings period? Is this show going to be around next year? In other words, people are creating history every day now. And to that point, like I've, uh, if like a few weeks ago, I started listening to um, a podcast he did. I think he released it back in like 2011. This is eight, nine years ago. And it, it's, it was, he calls it like evergreen. He's 100% right. Like you could listen to something that show is still going to be valuable 20 years from now or 30 years from now. That's completely different context uh, than what we're used to dealing with, especially on network TV and network radio for that matter. If you looked at all the top podcasts and asked them, how do you make money? They all have different models. It is tied to what you do and the kind of pr- production you have. So now he's getting into like how he built his business. He's able to do this full time. He says, and so he's saying like, it doesn't like podcast is just a medium. You, you can do like, it depends on what you do. Just match your business model with what you're actually doing. So he thought a lot about that. He says, I get out two and a half shows a year. His shows are, if you haven't listened, they're like five, six hours long. They're like basically small audiobooks. So he says, I won't do more than one ad per show. Uh, he does it right at the beginning. He won't interrupt his content. If I had to live off of advertising, it would not be viable. But if you do three shows per week, like Joe Rogan, and you do a few ads per show, then that is a viable solution. So he's just giving you uh, different options. Like you just pick which one is best for you. This is applicable to all kinds of businesses. So his approach, he says, is to sell the old shows. Take them off the free feed and sell them. These shows are evergreen. They are, uh, I just said this, they are as good years from now as they were when, they, when we released them. And then he had a reminder to the audience because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's too late to start a podcast. I think it's the exact opposite. We have barely begun. And Dan echoes that, that thought here. He says, we are literally at the very start of this. We are at the very beginning of the very beginning. And then finally he ends like, not only does he like, he's appreciative for the work he gets to do. He gets to make a living from it. But uh, the feeling, I'll just end here because 
it just feels good when you get positive feedback on something you make. And Dan Carlin, I mean, that's that's true for all humans. Dan Carlin's not uh, immune to that. And so he ends here. He says, the feeling of satisfaction, if people like it, there's not much that compares to that. 